0: Well, this morning we're going to continue in our non-formal series. Uh, We've been talking the last several weeks about some of the things that happen in the life of the church, in the traditions or in the liturgies or non-liturgies when the people of God meet that aren't always exactly in line with what the scriptures say. Tradition creeps in and sometimes... Just culture creeps in and begins to leave an imprint upon the church. And if you're a fan of history like I am and you're a person who loves the church like I love the church, I've really enjoyed going through this kind of a series and really excited to have the opportunity to share with you today. Because you see, church history swings like a pendulum. If you go back and you look at the 2,000 years that we have, you can see periods where there has been such a great positive influence that the church has made on humanity. And then you can go over to the other side and see the absolutely disastrous repercussions that the church has had on humanity. And it depends largely, as you look and study these histories, on how closely the church has stayed on mission and on message with jesus that's really what it ultimately comes down to but thank god he is always faithful so even when we're unfaithful god is faithful to bring the church into a season of renewal into a season of reformation into a season of breathing new life into his body because he promised he said i will build my church as try as we may we can't screw up in jesus's church And so when we come together and we examine things like this, I think it's good for us, it's wise, isn't it, to stop and take stock of where we are now, both as the body of Christ worldwide, but also us as Generation Church. And so we've been looking at things like how we can go from being people-oriented, making it about being led by the Holy Spirit, into this sort of celebrity driven program driven means of doing church and we don't want that do we or we looked last week at how the church the body of Christ is called to be transformational to actually change our lives but we've slipped into this kind of consumeristic transactional faith and I appreciate the lessons that Alex has been teaching us and today I want to follow up on that and I'm going to talk about how the church sometimes slips into the hereafter mentality and misses the here and now. Have you ever heard the expression the church can be so heavenly minded that it's no earthly good and can be so earthly minded that it's no heavenly good? There's a balance that needs to be maintained between the hereafter and the here and now. About a month ago when I was preaching on the idea of being good witnesses for Jesus in our standout series I put up a quote by uh, Mahatma Gandhi I don't know if we still have that but Gandhi said this I like your Christ I do not like your Christians your Christians are so unlike your Christ Uh, so many of you have made reference to that and made comments to that to me uh, how impactful that one statement is by someone who's held in great regard Someone who's seen as a true positive influence in the world turns around and makes a statement like that about Christians. So the question that that brings to my mind is, how do we get to a place where the followers of Jesus are perceived to be so radically different than he is? How do we get there? And this is nothing new. He's not the first person in history to make a statement like this. But think about this. This statement was made over 80 years ago. In 1997, Dallas Willard came out with his classic book, The Divine Conspiracy. And let me show you what he says. He writes, whatever the ultimate explanation of it, The most telling thing about the contemporary Christian is that he or she simply has no compelling sense that understanding of and conformity with the clear teachings of Christ is of any vital importance to his or her life. And certainly not that it is in any way essential. My goodness. That's written 20 years ago and it's probably much truer even today. And again, how did we get to such a situation. I believe that much of the church and when I say that I'm particularly talking about the church in the west much of the church has misinterpreted the message of Jesus and therefore it isn't really focused on him it's focused on what he can do for me. See here's the message of Jesus the gospel that Jesus proclaimed it tells us in Matthew 4:17 repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near what does that really mean at its core what jesus is saying to us is this he's saying change your thinking have your mind renewed so that it's not being inundated and influenced by your culture it's not the world speaking into your life but rather you are rethinking things from god's perspective And you are adjusting your life around a different set of principles and a different set of values, those that are not cultural, but rather those that are from heaven, the kingdom of God. But exactly what does Jesus mean by these words, the kingdom of heaven has come near? That's the crucial issue for us. Because here's the thing if we misunderstand heaven, then we're going to misunderstand kingdom. And if we misunderstand kingdom, then we're going to misunderstand repentance. And if we misunderstand repentance, then we're going to misunderstand the gospel, the good news. And if we misunderstand the gospel, then the church goes off mission. And if the church goes off mission, then it doesn't make disciples that resemble Christ. And I would suggest to you that in large part, that's where we are today. So what does he mean by the kingdom of heaven has come near? Well, Jesus gave us a mission, right, as his people. He didn't just say, I came, I saved you, now let's all go back up to heaven and have a big party. (laughs) He left us here, and he left us here for a reason, with a purpose. And that's best expressed, as many of you know if you've been in church long enough, by what we call the Great Commission. The Great Commission, of course, is found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 20, and it says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Does that sound familiar to anybody? You heard that in a sermon or two? Let's break it down a little bit, though. What is it that we have really been commissioned to do? What is the calling embedded in this great commission? I would suggest to you there's three things that the body of Christ exists on earth to do. The first is we help other people find new life in Jesus. Once we have found this relationship and entered into this new life ourselves, we have one of two choices. We can pat ourselves on the back. We can go into our closets and hide out and wait for Jesus to come back, or we can go out and help other people escape the darkness and come into the light. Jesus is clearly telling us that we are to help other people find the new life that he has made possible for everyone. Secondly, we are to integrate them into the community of faith. That's really what baptism is, right? Baptism, water baptism, is essentially the sign of the new covenant the way circumcision was the sign of the old covenant it doesn't save you it doesn't do anything to you it's actually making a statement on your behalf that you want to be joined to the community of faith that you are pledging your life and your allegiance to Jesus as king and to his people as brothers and sisters and so we work to integrate into the community of faith that makes the community stronger That makes the community that much more powerful and influential as people actually begin to live this life of Jesus together, not just in my personal relationship. That's why Jesus creates the church and empowers the church with his spirit. And then lastly, he says, teach them how to live for God. Teach them to obey everything I command you. What did he really command us? What he commanded us was to live for god by loving god with our hearts our souls our minds our strength and to love others the way we love ourselves jesus says all of the commandments all of the law all of the prophets are summed up in that and almost every other writer in the new testament james john peter they all talk about it all boiling down to love and so we are as a church to teach These people that were helping come to new life in Christ to actually live that life out. Not just make a decision, not just come to an intellectual assent of who this Christ is, but actually integrate his life into our own by being obedient. Now we don't like the word obedience, do we? And I think sometimes we, we misunderstand really what jesus means by that see it's not about rule keeping we don't like to follow rules do we anybody here really love to follow the rules let me drive behind you on the road and i'll find out for sure i've told you before and and if you ever follow me on the road that's the place where i am least christian least christ-like is on the road that's why you'll never see a jesus fish or a bumper sticker or any of that stuff on my car not until i get fully sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost. Obedience doesn't come natural to us because it fights against everything that we think freedom is, everything that we think liberty is, everything that we love about having the ability to call the shots and control things. And so if we get rid of this concept of rule keeping, that Jesus is asking us to follow all these rules and replace that with an understanding that what he's really asking us to do here is to go through character training, By obeying him, by following him, what we do is we begin to change our human nature into his spiritual nature. Our flawed, self-centered character into his perfect, self-giving character. That's what he means by obedience. That's the goal of obedience. Not so that we can show up in heaven and say, God, I got straight A's but so that we can say to the world, this is what Jesus looks like. That's the purpose of the church. That's what the Great Commission's all about. Being Jesus to the next person and then helping them be Jesus to the person after that. It's that simple. Not easy, but it's that simple. But the truth is we've largely failed at this commission, haven't we? I mean, in a sense, no, because... If we are sitting in a Christian church as believers in Jesus in 2019, there's a whole bunch of generations that go back 2,000 years where people were faithful to this, right? And we praise God for that. But in a whole, when you look and you see reports and you see research and studies that say there are X number of Christians proclaiming Christians in the world, and you see what little influence we have, then you have to question how well we're actually filling this out. What's the reason for that? Well, I would contend with you that the American church has missed the message because we became enamored with what is called the theology of revivalism. And what do I mean by that? Well, let me ask you if these names ring a bell. George Whitfield. Charles Finney. D.L. Moody. Billy Sunday, Billy Graham. Ever heard of them? Ever heard the term camp meeting? Ever heard the the term Big Tent Revival? All of this is the history of the church in America. And what it is is that the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus preached has been taken and distorted to the idea of what we would call the gospel of salvation and what each of these men has done and I praise God for them I'm not degrading or denigrating any of them but along the line when you trace it historically what you see is this idea of the importance resting on the hereafter as opposed to the here and now in other words, this gospel of salvation, and what do I mean by that? Well, did anyone ever say to you that if you want to come to Christ, what you have to do is bow your head and close your eyes and say the sinner's prayer? Is that familiar to you? That's part of revivalism. Anybody ever say to you, what you need to do is ask Jesus into your heart? That's revivalism. If you go through the pages of the Bible, really, really, Well, with a fine-tooth comb, you will find nothing in it that looks like the sinner's prayer, nothing in it that says, ask Jesus into your heart. See, what happens is we, again, have taken the message of Jesus and we've turned it into a message that fits our culture fits the way we think as individualistic, consumeristic, materialistic Westerners. What sounds good to us. And so what happens when you die becomes more important than how you live. Religion becomes a personal matter rather than the corporate practice of the church. The emphasis is on the hereafter not the here and now, and the goal becomes getting people into that place, heaven, instead of living out the kingdom now as Jesus modeled it and as he commissioned us to. All of that is what goes into what theology calls revivalism, and it is a particularly Western American tradition probably reaching back about 200 to 250 years. But here's the point. When the hereafter life is separated from the here and now, the church produces admirers of Jesus rather than apprentices of Jesus. Kingdom dreamers rather than kingdom doers. Let me say that again. When the hereafter life is separated from the here and now, the church produces admirers of Jesus rather than apprentices of Jesus. Kingdom dreamers rather than kingdom doers. In the book Pagan Christianity, Frank Viola and George Barna say this, the goal of revivalism was to bring individual sinners to an individual decision for an individualistic faith And as a result, the goal of the early church, which was mutual edification and every member functioning to corporately manifest Jesus Christ before the world, was altogether lost. What we're left with in the fruit of revivalism is what Dallas Willard so cleverly calls vampire Christianity. That's good. That'll get your attention. If you're a writer, that's the kind of thing you want to write. Vampire Christianity, what does he mean? He says vampire Christianity is in effect when a person says to Jesus, I'd like a little of your blood, please. Because, right, we all know that we're saved by the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I'd like a little of your blood, please. But I don't care to be your student or have your character. In fact, won't you just excuse me while I get on with my life and I'll see you in heaven. We really imagine that this is an approach that Jesus finds acceptable. Can the sinner's prayer, accept Jesus into your heart formula, really be what Christ is after? After all, Jesus said this, If you are truly my disciples, you will remain faithful to my teachings. If you're truly my disciples you'll remain faithful to my teaching see the church needs to refocus on the mission of making disciples that imitate jesus not worrying about getting people saved because if you imitate jesus you are saved so it's not a transaction you see how we slipped over there tying into last week's message just go through this transaction and you're in No, Jesus is looking for transformation. He's looking for people to become like he is. So to get back to where the church is supposed to be, to get us back on track, we have to ask again, what is the kingdom of heaven that has come near? And I would tell you this. If you get nothing else today, get this. Take a picture, write it down. Heaven is not the residence of God that we hope to share in the hereafter. Heaven is the realm of God's dominion in which we are invited to participate here and now. Heaven is not up there somewhere. It is not a destination. It is the realm in which God exists and in which everything is exactly the way he intends it to be. And it's not something that we will go to then. It is something that has come here now. Any of this making sense? Any of this help you understand why the church is in the position that it's in? Let me give you an illustration. It's amazing how our life is laid out in documents, isn't it? This is my birth certificate, or it's a copy of my birth certificate. It's the official copy that you need to get the new driver's license. This says that I was born on May 16, 1961. That's 58. Don't bother doing the math. I was born at Bon Secours Hospital in Baltimore. You know, that place the president was talking. No, let's not go there. Because that's I was born in Elijah Cummings District. It tells who my parents are. It tells my weight somewhere actually doesn't birth certificates now say wait don't they I don't know what it was I was cute that's all I know but I was born at 3 a.m. so I'm sure my parents love that but a birth certificate right what does this mean a birth certificate is sort of proof of our membership in the human race right the other document that's so important to us is this one the driver's license And what the driver's license represents is our authority to operate a motor vehicle. This is permission, if you will, to drive. And so when we think about the kingdom of heaven, there has to be an entry point, right? We have a birth certificate in the kingdom of heaven. Remember the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus? And Jesus said to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, that unless you are born again, which means born from above or born spiritually, then you cannot see the kingdom of God. I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God, he says, without being born of water and born of the Spirit. So we have a physical birth, but we must have a spiritual birth to enter into the kingdom of heaven as well. Scott McKnight writes in his book, The Jesus Creed, which is a fantastic book, too. He says, if conversion is likened to a birth certificate, we produce babies who need to be pushed around in strollers. We have some beautiful babies in church this morning. But you want to see them grow up, right? You don't want to be doing that for the next 30 years. So more than this is required. They need to mature. They need to grow up. They need to be transformed into adults. McKnight goes on to say, if it's like a driver's license, then we produce adults who can operate on life's pathways. See, the question that's tied to a birth certificate is, how do I get into heaven? The question that's tied to the driver's license is, how do I love God and love others and look like Jesus? How do I fulfill the Great Commission? Jesus makes this statement on discipleship. He says, students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. That's his goal for you. That's his purpose for us, to become exactly like he is. Jesus was a kingdom operative, wasn't he? Jesus was the not-so-secret agent that God sent to the earth to bring the kingdom his example of kingdom ministry is right there in front of us and what does it look like a verse that means so much to me that you hear me bring up all the time is found in acts chapter 10 verses 37 and 38 and what this is is peter's explanation of jesus's ministry Now you would expect Peter who walked around with Jesus and saw all the miracles and witnessed the transfiguration and all of those impressive things that Peter would write something like Jesus was this amazing Savior who came to earth and did all of these miracles and then was resurrected and we all get to go to heaven and be with him. And that's not what he says. Take a look at what Acts 10 says. He says, you know, he's talking to Cornelius, you know what happened throughout Judea beginning in Galilee After John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know, listen to this, that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. I love the beautiful succinctness, the summary that Peter is making for us. Because this makes it much more possible for us to believe that it's our mission too. We know we can't go to the cross and shed our blood to save humanity. We know that we can't be the firstborn of the dead resurrecting so that everyone else gets to rise. That's not the mission we've been given. That's Jesus as the author and forerunner of our faith, the pioneer of our faith. But then he says to us, follow me. So, what does he mean? This is what he means. What Peter's saying here, what he's testifying to, is that in Jesus, the hereafter of the world to come has invaded the here and now of the world as it is. Heaven has come to earth. And what does it look like? It looks like reconciliation, it looks like healing. It looks like every expression of the fullness of what salvation is. And the church exists to demonstrate this truth to those who don't yet discern it. We're to do what Jesus did because we look like him, because we act like him, because we think like him. We are to become the instrument of reconciliation and healing and salvation on the earth. That's what the great commission's all about. That's why he taught us this. He said, "When you pray, pray our corporate together, Father, who is in heaven, who is ruling over his dominion, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven." That's not a prayer to say, God, we're in a mess down here. Would you just come and do something for us? That's a prayer that says, Lord, we're in a mess down here. Use me. Empower me. Join me to other people in the church, and let us bring the kingdom of heaven near to those who need it. It's, it's a prayer to join the physical and the spiritual realms together. But see, here's the thing. We're not only to be like Jesus. He actually told us this. He said, you'll do greater things than I do. Whoa. Remember the first time reading that scripture going, how in the world am I going to do greater things than Jesus? What he's talking about is numerically the millions, if not billion, who believe in him and claim him. And if they align with his desire for their lives, will be able to have that much greater impact than what we saw in Christ. So we need to do the same thing. We need to understand what it means. if you Go back to the verse, Josh. What it means to be anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. It means we've got to be prepared. It means we can't be so preoccupied with our careers and our finances and our relationships that we're not prepared for God to use us. We can't make it so much about me and my personal influence. It's got to be about God filling us up with himself. That's how you get your kingdom driver's license, by the way. That's how you get the okay to operate. If you operate without the Holy Spirit, you're going to get pulled over by the cops, the heavenly cops, whatever they are. I don't even know what I'm saying. Jesus said you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And Paul writes to the Colossians that in Christ we have been given all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So we are prepared. Secondly, we have to go around doing good. One of the, I was going to say mistranslations, but one of the weaker translations in the Great Commission is the fact that it's put in the imperative go. In Greek, it actually is a participle that says as you're going. And see, we sometimes think, okay, well, where am I supposed to go? God, are you going to send me to China? He goes, no, I'm probably just going to send you to the grocery store. I'm probably going to send you to the gas station. I'm probably going to send you into your workplace or to your family. And as you go, see, what we're talking about here is positioning ourselves for God to use us. As he prepares us and fills us with his spirit, then we have to be positioned. And that's not necessarily geographical. Although we are one of the most mobile societies ever on the face of the earth. We're going all the time, aren't we? In my life, I counted this up the other day. I've lived in 22 different places in 58 years. That's a lot. But what he's talking about is having the kingdom mindset. That wherever I go, I am bringing light to the darkness, as we sang about earlier. And then he says... Healing all who were oppressed by the devil. This is the part that I think is hardest for us to believe, right? That as I go and as I share Jesus and as I live out this character and as I speak like him and act like him, I'm really doing kingdom warfare. And people are really going to be healed from the power and the oppression of the devil. Me? Seriously? Yes, seriously. And that kind of oppression takes all kinds of formats. It can be physical healing. It can be psychological healing. It can be economic healing as we bring justice and fairness. It can be spiritual healing as we just lead somebody into the life and truth of Christ. All of this God desires to do through us. Little old you. The Bible's full of little old yous. For God was with him. There's the key. The Bible tells us that it's God who works in us to live or to will and to act according to his purpose. God works in us. God is with us. Behold, I am with you always, right? Even to the end of Age is the last thing Jesus says in the Great Commission. And so we embrace His presence, we prepare ourselves, we position ourselves, and we go about our lives with the purpose of the kingdom of heaven, bringing heaven, bringing the hereafter life into the here and now. That's what we're called to do. And this kind of kingdom work, dear friends, is the most rewarding. It is the most meaningful thing you can do with your life. You'll feel more alive doing this than anything else the world offers you. It's better than any career will ever lead you to because it's what you were created for. It's what Jesus died for so that heaven can live and reside in you. It's rewarding, but it is not easy. It cost Jesus' life. It's cost many of his followers throughout history their lives. And that's why he says, if you want to follow me, you have to take up the cross. You have to be willing to die. But where I'm leading you and what I'm going to do through you is so amazing. But not everybody wants it. Dallas Willard also writes this. He says, someone will say, but can I be saved? Can I just get into heaven when I die without any of this? See, that's a fruit of revivalism. And perhaps you can, he says. God's goodness is so great, I am sure, that he will let you in if he can find any basis at all to do so. But you might wish to think about what your life amounts to before you die. I'm not here to upset your theological apple cart. I'm here to tell you what Jesus said and to help you figure out how to build your life around being his disciple, what that means, that heaven has come to earth. Because Jesus says this plainly and clearly, and I'll leave you with this as the worship team comes. In Matthew seven twenty one, he says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven, will enter. So if you've said a prayer, if you've committed your life to Jesus, if you've gotten your spiritual birth certificate, hallelujah. What a great beginning. If you haven't, that's the place to start. Right now, right here. The invitation to join the family of God is available today but if you've already taken that step if you're already in the family well can I just say it's time to grow up and get your driver's license remember how exciting this was I loved it we have four kids and like you we were transporting them all over to baseball fields and practices and all of those kinds of things and that gets really tiring right and when our oldest got his driver's license that was like heaven on earth because he'd say oh can I drive so and so to practice and we said yes you can (laughs) that's what God wants God's been driving long enough (laughs) get your license there's freedom real freedom you can go places that you never thought you could go in the kingdom of God because it's come near, and it's actually in you and for you. So here's the question for contemplation that I want to leave you with. And in just a moment, Pastor Alex is going to lead us through communion. The communion table is the place of invitation. It is also the place of promise. But I want you to actually do me the favor Pull your driver's license out. Go ahead. If you got one, go through the trouble. Get it digging it out of your wallet. Dig it out of your purse. And I want you to hold it in your hand as I pray. If you left it in your car, you left it in your house, just do this in your mind with me. I want you to hold it in your hands. See, we each have one, right, of our own. And that's important. But together we have many. We haven't been called to fulfill the Great Commission individually. We've been called to fulfill the Great Commission together. All of us operating in our own sphere of influence. All of us operating in our own anointing of the Holy Spirit and power. All of us going to our individual places. That's what it means to be the church. So, Father, we just thank you for life in Jesus Christ. We thank you that we have been born into the kingdom. And we thank you that that is a real and meaningful hope for our day-to-day existence. We are thankful that it's more than just knowing where we're going to go and spend eternity when we die. It's knowing that we're already in eternity and can spend it in close intimacy with you. And, Lord, I pray that you help us to understand that it's more than just waiting around. It's actually getting in the kingdom and operating in the kingdom. It's about actually helping other people come to life in Jesus. It's about experiencing the fullness of, of what it means to be human and what it means to be Christian and what it means to be the church. It's about integrating together with other believers into the community of faith. And it's about learning how to live and learning how to teach others to live in obedience to you as you transform us into your image. So we look at this license Lord with great trepidation, knowing that you've given us such an important and serious opportunity and responsibility. And so I pray that every time we look at our license, our physical driver's license, we're reminded that you've called us to something wonderful and beautiful in the kingdom of God that you have brought near, and that you help us never to think again of heaven as the hereafter, but rather as the here and now in which we live and move and have our being. And so I ask that you bless us amazingly, Lord, to be a blessing to others for the glory of your name and for the sake of your kingdom come. In Jesus' name we pray.
1: Amen want to just stay in an attitude of prayer this morning keep your heads bowed I'm just glad that if we have a spiritual driver's license we don't have to do it through the MVA that's all I'm saying but I'm just so thankful that Jesus invites us to this moment of being born again of the spirit of God where the life of Jesus comes and changes us I'm thankful for the glorious hope there is in Christ. He said one day he will come again. But in this moment, while we're here on earth, our role is for the kingdom to be established wherever we go. And Chris said that what Jesus says, which is to take up your cross and, follow him and we're in this moment right now where we're about to remember and give thanksgiving to the moment that Jesus went to the cross he gave his all he gave his life for us so that we wouldn't have to die we wouldn't have to be bound by sin and shame and guilt and regret but that we could have life and life to the full everlasting life And so in this moment, as we come to the communion table, just before we close out the service this morning, this is a table that is open to all, a table that is a family table where all are welcomed. It's not just for the ones who think they're okay. It's not just for the ones who have said the right prayers or the ones who have never done any wrong because then none of us could partake but it's a table that is open to all and so what I'm going to ask you to do in a moment we're going to say a quick prayer and after we say that prayer I'm going to ask you if, if you want to come and participate in this invitation that Jesus gives us to come and remember his life his death his resurrection and his coming again then you can come out of your seat and at the front here under the screens. there's some stalls with some communion, gluten-free communion if you need that. But just come and take of the bread which symbolizes just the body of Jesus which was broken for us and then take of the juice which represents the blood of Jesus that was shed as a ransom for our sins and our wrongdoing. And come and celebrate about what Jesus has done. And as an act of saying, yes, Jesus, I want to be part of that kingdom. That you are Lord, that you are all to us. And I want to be part of making a difference in this world. And seeing the kingdom of God established. So Father God, this morning we thank you for the love of Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much and you continue to love us so much that, Father, you sent your Son, Jesus, to come and live and show us how to live this life. Show show us what kingdom lifestyle really is. But, Lord, we also are so thankful that, that, that you gave of your life so that we could find new life that you came and you went the way of the cross and you shed your blood and your body was broken so that we could experience that born again of of the living God, of the Spirit of God. So now that we can experience the life of Jesus, the life of heaven here, now and forevermore. And so Father, this morning as we just come to your table, God, we come with thankful hearts. Because of what you have done, what are you what you are still doing, and what you are yet to do. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you come and receive this morning? So as you have partaken this morning in this ancient spiritual practice of communion, You've partaken in the kingdom of God this morning. And the wonderful thing is what I love about Jesus. He didn't just give us a ticket and say, here, have a good life. I'll see you in heaven. But he says, I want to come alongside you. You are family. You are adopted into the family of God. Let's do life together. And so this morning, as you leave this place, leave this place knowing that Jesus is with you. He's beside you, that he is, as you go out into whatever this week may hold, go as ambassadors of Jesus, as as representatives of Jesus, someone who Jesus is renewing and refreshing every single day so that you become more and more like Jesus. Go and celebrate that he is Lord and he is all.